The following broadcast is released under a Creative Commons license. I believe in Jesus Christ, the only Son of God. I believe He lived and died, and that He rose again. I believe and trust in Him. Ascended into hell, Christ our living head will one day come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe and trust in Him. I will trust in my Redeemer, sing of His love. That lasts forever Though His hope and sure salvation I will trust in Him Though the world falls around me I rest and know that He has found me Christ the rock is my Welcome all to Pastor Yeshua. You've been listening to Creed by Richard Jensen from his album, Order of Service. By way of introduction, pastor is an acrostic which stands for preaching all salvation through one Redeemer. Our Redeemer, Yeshua, Jesus, is the Hebrew name for the Lord. It means Yahweh, the Lord, is salvation. Translated from Hebrew into the Greek language, the name Yeshua becomes Jesus. The English transliteration for Jesus is Jesus. This program deals with apologetics, questions on and about God, the Bible, and the Christian faith. I take questions and seek by Scripture to give answers and encouragement for everyone, including the tough-minded living in today's skeptical society. And now, let's join Pastor Yeshua. Welcome to Pastor Yeshua. In this episode series, our goal is to fully equip ourselves with a complete historical and cultural understanding of Jesus' I Am statements as revealed within God's Word, the Bible. While the subject matter may not be completely new ground, as I've stated before, I have an abiding faith that any time we approach God's Word with a sincere and earnest desire to learn, we cannot help and will not fail to deepen a greater understanding and appreciation of God's nature and deity from a diligent Berean study of His Word, the Bible. In the previous 12 episodes so far, we've begun a journey to deepen our understanding of Jesus' I Am statements found within the New Testament. It is my contention that these various statements, when viewed properly, clearly, draw a straight line identifying Jesus' divinity and recognition as the God of the Bible, the God of all creation, the Lord of life, and the King of kings. In episode 1 and 2, we 
completed a search of Exodus chapter 3, verses 13 through 15, along with a survey of the Old Testament in Hebrew, as well as the Septuagint Greek regarding God's revelation to Moses and, by extension, to his people of God's character or name. In part three, we began our survey in earnest with a study of Matthew chapter 26, Mark chapter 14, and Luke chapter 22 regarding Jesus' I am statements under oath to the high priest during his trial. In part four, we looked at Jesus' encounter with a Samaritan woman at Jacob's well in John chapter four. In part five, we began to look at Jesus' feeding of the 5,000 and his walking on the water of the Sea of Galilee. In part six, we continued to examine John six, where Jesus and his disciples land at Capernaum, where Jesus repeatedly says, I am the bread of life. In part seven, we took side road and looked at John chapter seven, where Jesus used the event of the Feast of Tabernacles and the water drawing ceremony to proclaim that he was Messiah and to invite believers saying, if any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. In episode eight, we looked at chapter eight with the temple lighting ceremony and Jesus' statement saying, I am the light of the world. We also saw in chapter eight, Jesus make the axiomatical logical statement that salvation versus dying in one's sins is contingent on whether or not we have faith in the reality of Jesus's identity as I am. In part nine, we looked at John chapter eight, where Jesus says, before Abraham was, I am. In part 10, we looked at Jesus's statement, I am the door and I am the good shepherd as well as I and the Father are one. In episode 11, we looked at John 11, where Jesus' statement saying, I am the resurrection and the life. And finally, in episode 12, we turn to John chapter 13 and 14, wherein we looked at Jesus' statement saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So, in this episode, we look at John chapter 15. As we begin, it should be clearly understood that the events which began with verse 1 are still unfolding from episode 12 and the scene of the Last Supper in the upper room which we just discussed. Here, Jesus and his disciples are leaving the upper room en route to the Garden of Gethsemane and Jesus' eventual betrayal and arrest. In order to get to the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus and the eleven remaining disciples would have to leave the city of Jerusalem and pass through the Kidron Valley and up the slope of the Mount of Olives. As they were walking along the trail, Jesus and the disciples would have to traverse through the grape vineyards which surrounded the city. Along their trail there would have been gnarled grapevines that showed the scars from recent pruning. It is also likely that once outside the city that the beautiful golden dome of the Jewish temple would have been visible. The Jewish temple gates themselves were about 70 cubits high. 
Above and round the gate, which led from the porch to the holy place, was a richly carved grapevine, which extended as a border and decoration. The branches, the tendrils, and the leaves were the finest gold, and the stalks of the bunches were the length of a human height, and the bunches hanging upon them were of uh, costly jewels. So, as Jesus and his disciples were walking to the Garden of Gethsemane, they could see the grape vineyard, the city of Jerusalem, the temple, and the temple gate embellished with the grapevines. Further, Jesus and his disciples were all Jewish, and they were familiar with the culture and the history of Jewish agriculture. It is in this setting that Jesus uses the occasion of the above to teach and unveil of substance to the type and to reveal a larger theological truth. In verses 1 through 4, we begin Jesus' lesson. Quote, I am the true vine, and my father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself except it abide in the vine, no more can ye except ye abide in me." Unquote. So historically and culturally speaking in rabbinical literature, the grapevine was the picture of restored Israel. The vine stood for the Messiah, the anointed of God. So Jesus' claim to be the true vine, quote unquote, is a direct connection between the type and shadow of the vine and the substance, which is the true vine, Jesus' identity as Messiah. More importantly, Jesus' prefix of I am, ego I may, sharpens the focus of his identity as God. Strictly speaking, this truth is a logical necessity since only God provides the true source of life and life more abundantly. Being separated from God is the definition of death. In this sense, Jesus, as God, is the vine. In the type, connection to the vine is the only way by which the branches and the grapes receive nourishment which is necessary for the life and growth of the grapes. In the substance, fellowship with God and the resultant life and joy is predicated on being reconciled and connected through faith in Jesus' finished work. Hence, Jesus is the true vine. In the type, the husbandman is the caretaker who is responsible for properly managing the grapevines so that they produce grapes bountifully. When grapevines cease producing grapes, the husbandman must cut and remove those vines because those non-productive vines utilize vital nutrients needed for other vines which do produce. Productive vine branches require strategic pruning designed to strengthen the vines and increase grape production. 
In the substantive analogy, it is God the Father who is the husbandman, who is responsible for planting, watering, pruning, and growing the grapes for his own glory. Lastly, it is axiomatic that in order for grapes to grow, the branch which produces the grapes must remain connected to the root. As stated, the branch must abide or remain connected. Once any branch is cut or disconnected, the branch will languish and die. All in all, the analogy of the grapevine is a perfect picture of what it is to be a true follower of Christ, i.e. a Christian. Another aspect which deserves attention is that Throughout Jewish history, the grapevine became the symbol of Israel in a nationalistic sense. During the Maccabean period, the symbol of the vine was on the coins of Israel. Vines, branches, and grapes were over the main doors of the synagogues. In the Jewish War, Book 5, Paragraph 207 through 211, Flavius Josephus, the first-century Jewish historian, who was also a priest in the temple before it was destroyed, actually gives us a description of this golden vine that was above the entryway into the temple. Quote, The holy temple was covered with gold, and through it the first edifice was visible to a spectator without in all its grandeur, and the surroundings of the inner gate were all gleaming with gold fell beneath his eye. It had moreover above it those golden vines from which depended grape clusters as tall as a man." Unquote. Further, in Flavius Josephus's book Antiquities, he writes, quote, the temple had doors also at the entrance and lintels over them of the same height as the temple itself. They were adorned with embroidered veils with their flowers of purple and pillars interwoven. And over these, but under the crown work, was spread out a golden vine with its branches hanging down from a great height, the largeness and fine workmanship of which was a surprising sight to the spectators. To see what vast materials there were with what great skill the workmanship was done." Unquote. In the Mishnah, a rabbi recorded the description of the temple and its services, saying, quote, A golden vine stood over the entrance to the sanctuary, trained over posts, and whosoever gave a leaf, a berry, or a cluster as a freewill offering, he brought it, and the priest hung it therein." Unquote. So, given this historic background, it must be understood that when Jesus says, quote, I am the true vine, unquote, that he is saying that he is the authentic and genuine vine, as opposed to being a mere copy or symbol representing nationalistic pride. Jesus is the eternal spiritual substance and the fulfillment of all that these symbols suggest.
Additionally, Jesus drops a sharp contrast between the vine of Israel, which had compromised itself with self-righteousness and litigiousness, and himself. When all is said and done, Jesus transferred the privileges and responsibilities from the Hebrew people to himself. In verses 5 through 8, Jesus clarifies and repeats himself, saying, quote, I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me ye can do nothing. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch, and is withered. And men gather them, and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. If ye abide in me, and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. Herein is my Father glorified, that ye bear much fruit, so shall ye be my disciples." Unquote. Here, once again, Jesus says, quote, I am, unquote, ego aime, the alpha and the omega, the I exist, I will exist, the being one, the one who exists, the one who is, the becoming one, or he who is. I, as God, am the vine, which is the true source of life, growth, and fruit. Those who are in fact connected to me are the branches. Again, the axiomatic truth. Those who truly abide and are connected via relationship with Christ will produce much fruit, just as a branch produces grapes when connected to the vine. Those who are in fact not connected to Christ via relationship will never produce anything and are in fact dead just as a branch is dead and will never produce grapes if it is not connected to the vine. In the final analysis, in the case of the grapevine, when any branch has demonstrated by a lack of fruit that it is dead, that it is no longer connected to the vine, then those branches are gathered up and burnt. Just so, in God's economy. When it has been demonstrated that any branch is not connected to Christ in a relationship, as proven by the lack of fruit, then that branch is cast into the fire. Now, I would point out here that the English word, quote-unquote, abide, which is used several times in the above verses, can be very misleading. As an intransitive verb, the word, quote-unquote, abide, is defined as, quote, to remain stable, or fixed in a state, or to continue in a place, unquote. In this case, this definition logically requires that if I am going to remain or continue in a particular place or situation, then I have to, in fact, be there to begin with in order to continue or to remain there. 
This presents a grave theological contradiction if indeed the correct word translated in the above verse is quote-unquote abide and the definition we just gave is correct. Why? Well, if we can say that it is possible for someone to truly and sincerely be fully in a relationship with Christ in every sense and definition, and that it is also possible to lose that relationship completely, then the result is that we must conclude that salvation is defective and subject to failure. At this point, we, one and all, are insecure, and there is no guarantee that God can save anyone. So, in its proper theological context, the issue of any person abiding should be better understood as the fact of a biblical relationship with Christ through faith in his finished work. In this case, abiding is a logical axiomatic truth. In other words, the spiritual formula is that if, in fact, God has chosen you, then he will be faithful to complete what he has started, and we will bear fruit in keeping with that reality. Conversely, despite what we or others say, and despite appearances, it is possible to be close to Christ and to mimic all of the benchmarks of a follower and yet not be truly a child of God. Look at Matthew chapter 7, verses 15 through 23, which say this, quote, Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. Ye shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit. But a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Wherefore, by their fruits ye shall know them. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. But he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven, Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name have cast out devils? And in thy name done many wonderful works? And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity." Unquote. So, here again, Jesus uses the analogy of a grapevine as well as a fruit tree bearing fruit. The warning is against the false prophets, those who intentionally or otherwise pretend or appear to be from God. They have the outward appearance of a sheep. That is, they mimic the traditional things that Christ's followers say and do. Thus, they look authentic, 
Yet, underneath, they are not of God. They acknowledge Jesus as Lord. They prophesy in God's name. They cast out devils, and they do many wonderful works. Consequently, by every standard, everyone would say that these people are Christian. As a result, when the time comes that these people deny Christ and or fall away into rebellion, there are those who will then be quick to conclude that salvation can be lost. The fact is that there are those who call themselves disciples or Christians who follow Christ and then fall away is seen in John chapter 6 verse 60. Quote, from that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him, unquote. So here, John is speaking to spirit-filled Christians and confirming that those who named the name of Christ as Lord, filled the church, and appeared to be Christians, had now left Christianity and no longer followed Christ. However, Rather than concluding that the problem was or is in Christianity or in Christ, we know that the reality is that if someone quote-unquote falls away or quote-unquote leaves Christ, the truth is that they were never truly in a relationship with Christ to begin with. Jesus confirms this in 1 John chapter 2 verse 19. Quote, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that they were not all of us. Unquote. So here again, the axiomatic truth is revealed. If, in fact, we are of Christ, if, in fact, we do have a relationship with him, then we will continue or abide with him. However, if we are not, in fact, in a relationship with Christ, then despite all appearances to the contrary, we are not of Christ and we will not endure. Romans chapter 8 verses 28 through 30 demonstrates this axiomatic relationship with what is sometimes referred to as the golden chain of salvation. Quote, and we know that God causes all things to work together for him to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. And these whom he predestined, he also called. And these whom he called, he also justified. And these whom he justified, he also glorified." Unquote. This is called the golden chain of salvation because if, in fact, God has instituted the first link in a person's life, then by necessity of God's sovereign will and purpose 
to accomplish his purpose, once God has elected to create the first link, the remaining links are inevitably and irrevocably forged together, interlinked according to God's will, one leading to the next, to the final destination. The idea that those whom God has chosen as his elect, and as a result God will without fail sanctify into the image and likeness of his Son to be glorified, is borne out in John chapter 6 verse 39, as well as John chapter 10 verse 27 through 30. Quote, this is the will of my Father who sent me, that of all he has given to me, I should lose nothing, but should raise him up at the last day, unquote. Quote, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give eternal life to them. They will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given to them to me is greater than all. No one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one." Unquote. Finally, John chapter 15 verse 8, already quoted, deserves comment. Quote, Herein is my Father glorified, that ye bear much fruit, so shall ye be my disciples." Unquote. We have already established that God the Father is the husbandman. That is, it is God who creates, plants, establishes, and chooses vine branches which produce fruit versus branches which are never connected to begin with and thus wither, die, and are thrown into the fire. From the perspective of correct soteriology, i.e. salvation, we one and all are branches which are separated, cut off, disconnected, withered, dying, and given the fact that we have no fruit, or that the fruit which we think we have is bitter, we all deserve to be gathered and thrown into the fire. That would be the just rewards which we deserve based on the fact that we have all sinned and fallen short of God's glory. The miracle, the good news, the gospel is that due to God's mercy and compassion, he in his sovereign will chooses some regardless of our inability and unworthiness and he grafts us into the vine. God connects us via his grace through the finished work of his son who imparts his righteousness to our account. We are grafted into Christ and made a good branch, and by his continued grace imputed to our account, we do abide in the vine as a good branch, if in fact we are indeed grafted in. It is all due to God's mercy and compassion from the beginning, in the middle, and at the end. Because it is all God's doing, it is He who is worthy of the glory. This concludes this episode. Please join me for part 14. Now, if you have any questions about God, the Bible, or the Christian faith, 
I encourage you to send me an email at pastor underscore Yeshua at yahoo.com. That's P-A-S-T-O-R underscore Y-E-S-H-U-A at yahoo.com. Thank you for listening. Bye.